Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. We have a letter from Archbishop Viganò. Uh, it's been a while since he's published anything publicly, and so we have something, and it's a Lenten reflection. I think this is good and timely from the Archbishop. So let's check in with Archbishop Viganò and see what guidance he has for us as we begin possibly the most important Lent of our lives. Come and be converted to me, says the Lord. Come weeping, let us shed tears to God, because we have transgressed, and because of us the earth suffers. We have committed iniquity, because of us its foundations have been shaken. Let us hurry to forestall God's wrath by weeping and saying, You who take upon yourself the sins of the world, have mercy on us. It is difficult for a man of today to understand these words from the Ambrosian Missal. Yet they are simple in their stern clarity, showing us that God's wrath, because of our sins and betrayals, can only be appeased with contrition and penance. In the Roman Rite, this concept is made even more clearly in the prayer of the Litany of the Saints. O God, who are offended by guilt and appeased by penance, he looks propitiously at the prayers of your people, who implore you, and turn away from us the scourges of your anger, which we deserve because of our sins. Christian civilization was able to treasure this salutary notion, which keeps us away from sin, not only for fear of the just punishment that it entails, but also for the offense caused by the to the majesty of God, infinitely good and worthy of being loved above all, what as the Acts of the Apostles teach us. Over the centuries, humanity converted to Christ knew how to recognize God's punishment in the mournful events of history, earthquakes and various afflictions, and always the people struck by the scourges knew how to do penance and implore divine mercy. And when the Lord, the Blessed Virgin, or the saints intervened in human affairs with apparitions and revelations, together with the call to the observance of the law of God, they threatened great tribulations if men were not converted. Also, in Fatima, Our Lady asked for the consecration of a certain country to her Immaculate Heart and the restorative communion of the first Saturdays as an instrument to appease the wrath of God, and to be able to enjoy a period of tranquility. Otherwise, that country will spread his errors throughout the world, promoting upheavals and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be destroyed. What can we expect from having disregarded Our Lady's requests and from having continued to offend the Lord with more and more horrible sins? They did not want to satisfy my request. Like the King of France, they will repent and do it, but it will be late. That country will have already spread her errors throughout the world, causing strife and persecutions of the church. These things which today afflict humanity to subjugate it and subject it to the hellish plan of the, the big starting over, inspired by the hammer and sickle, they are once again the result of our indocility, of our obstinacy to believe that we can trample the law of the Lord and blaspheme his holy name without consequence. How unfortunate presumption! How much Luciferian pride! The de-Christianized world and the secularized mentality that has twisted even Catholics do not accept the idea of a God offended by the sins of man, and who punishes them with scourges so that they repent and ask for forgiveness. Yet this concept is among those that the creative hand of God has imprinted on the soul of every man, inspiring that sense of justice that even the pagans have. But precisely because it is present in all men of all times, contemporaries are horrified at the idea of a God who rewards the good and punishes the bad, a God who shows himself in his anger, who asks for tears and sacrifices from those who offend him. Behind this aversion to the wrath of the Lord offended by the sins of humanity, and even more so by those 
of those he made his children in baptism, there is the implacable hatred of the enemy of mankind for the redemptive sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the passion of the Son of God, for the ransom that his blood deserved to each of us after the fall of Adam and our personal sins, a hatred that has been consumed since the creation of man in the foolish attempt to frustrate the work of God, to disfigure the creature made in his image and likeness, and even more to prevent the divine reparation of Christ, the new Adam, and of Mary, the new Eve. On the cross, the new Adam restores the sin-broken order as Redeemer. At the foot of the cross, the new Eve participates in this restoration as co-redemptrix. The world accepts pain and death neither as a just punishment for original sin and actual sins, nor as an instrument of ransom and redemption in Christ, and it is almost a paradox. The very one who, with the temptation of our progenitors, introduced death and pain in the world, does not tolerate that these can also be instruments of expiation, accepted with humility to repair the broken justice. He does not tolerate that the implements of destruction can be snatched from him to become instruments of reconstruction in life. Contemporary man is again deceived by Satan, as he was in the Garden of Eden. Then the serpent made him believe that God's order did not reap the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and would have no consequences. Indeed, from that disobedience, Adam would have become similar to God. Today he deludes him that those consequences are inconsequential, and that he cannot accept the consequences and pains as just punishment, overturning them to his own advantage by joining them to the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in accepting the punishment, the offender accepts the authority of the judge, recognizes the infinite gravity of his guilt, repairs for the crime committed, and expiates the deserved sanction. By doing so, he returns to God's grace, nullifying the work of Satan. For this reason, the closer the end of time approaches, the more the attempts of the evil one multiply to cancel not only the truth revealed by Christ and preached through the centuries by the Holy Church, but to eliminate the very concept of justice that underlies it, of the redemption, the idea of the necessity of the punishment for the violation or the reparation of the guilt, or the gravity of the disobedience of the creature towards the Creator. It is evident that the more men are induced to believe that they have not committed any sin, the more they will think that they should not repent of anything, that they have no debt of gratitude towards God who so loved the world as to give his Son, his only begotten Son, obedient until death, death on the cross. If we look around us, we see how this cancellation of justice, of the sense of good and evil, of the idea that there is a God who rewards the good and punishes the wicked, leads to a definitive, irreparable, and irredeemable rebellion against the Lord, a premise for the eternal damnation of souls. The magistrate who acquits the criminal and punishes the righteous person, the ruler who promotes sin and vice and condemns or prevents honest and virtuous actions, the priest, who is silent on the novissimi and considers concepts such as penance, sacrifice, and fasting and atonement for sins as pagan concepts, are all accomplices, perhaps unaware of this latest deception of Satan. A deception that, on the one hand, denies God the lordship over creatures and the right to reward and punish them according to their actions, while, on the other hand, he promises goods and rewards that only God can grant. All this I will give you if you worship me prostrate. See Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. He dares to say, to Christ in the desert after having led him to the top of the mountain. The present events, the crimes that are committed daily by humanity, the multitude of sins that challenge the divine majesty, the injustices of individuals and nations, the lies and frauds committed with impunity cannot be defeated by human means, even if a brigade arm themselves to restore justice and punish the wicked, because human forces, without the grace of God, and without being enlivened by a supernatural vision, are sterile and ineffective. 
But there is a way to combat this deception into which humanity has fallen for over three centuries, that is, since it has had the pride and the presumption to deify man and usurp his royal crown from Jesus Christ. And this way, infallible because it is divine, is the return to penance, sacrifice, fasting, not the vain penance of those who run on a treadmill, nor the empty fasting of those who deprive themselves of meat in the name of Laudato Si. These are once again diabolical deceptions with which we silence our conscience. True penance, which Holy Lent must encourage us to carry out with fruit, is that which each of us offers privations and sufferings and atonement for our own sins and those committed by our neighbor, by nations and by men of the church. True sacrifice is that which we unite with gratitude and gratitude to the sacrifice of our Lord, giving a spiritual meaning and a supernatural purpose to the pain we still deserve. True fasting is the one which we deprive ourselves of food, not to lose weight, but to restore the primacy of the will over the passions, over the soul of the body. The penances, sacrifices, and fasts that we will perform in this Holy Lent will have a value of reparation and expiation that will merit those graces for us, for our loved ones, for our neighbor, for the homeland, for the church, for the whole world, and for the souls in purgatory. That the Son can stop the wrath of God the Father, because in uniting with the sacrifice of his Son, we will turn into a supernatural treasure what Satan has caused us all, leading us to sin by disobeying the Lord. This treasure will restore the broken order. It will restore the violated justice. It will make amends for the sins we have committed in Adam and personally. Cosmos is opposed to the infernal chaos, divine to the prince of the world, the king of kings, humility to pride, obedience to rebellion. You were called to this since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He carried our sins in his body on the wood of the cross, so that no longer living for sin we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we were healed. See the letter of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. I conclude this meditation by quoting the epistle of the Mass of Ash Wednesday. It is taken from the book of the prophet Joel and reminds us of the role of mediators and intercessors of priests in admonishing the people of God and calling them to conversion, a role that many clerics have forgotten and which indeed refuse, believing it to be the legacy of an outmoded church, which does not keep up with the times, which still believes that the Lord must be appeased with penance and fasting. Blow the trumpet in Zion, proclaim a fast, call a solemn meeting. Between the vestibule and the altar, the priests, ministers of the Lord, will weep and say, Forgive, Lord, forgive your people. Do not abandon your inheritance to opprobrium. Do not make it the servant to the nations. Let it not be said among the peoples, Where is their God? The Lord showed zeal for his land and forgave his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I will send you wheat, wine, and oil, and you will have them in abundance, and I will no longer make you opprobrium of the nations, says the Almighty Lord. See Galatians chapter 2, 15 to 19. As we have have time, brothers, let us ask God for mercy, implore his forgiveness, and make amends for the sins committed, because a day will come when the time of mercy will be fulfilled, and that of justice will begin. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of catastrophe and misery, a great and truly bitter day. On that day the Lord will come to judge the world with fire. Please, God, that the admonitions of Our Lady and the mystical saints lead us, in this hour of darkness, to truly convert, to recognize our sins, and to see them absolved in the sacrament of confession, to atone for them with fasting and penance, so that the just arm of God is stopped by the few, when it should fall upon the many. And so be it. Signed, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, Ash Wednesday, 2022. As always, Vigano's words are thought-provoking. He's very good at that, and I'm very glad to see that he issued a statement on Ash Wednesday because there has not been many of them this year from any of the bishops we would expect, or the Pope, or anybody. It's fascinating to see this. So it's I'm very glad that 
Vigano did speak up because at the end of the day, there is a lot of things going on in the world right now, and I kind of get the feeling that the that the hierarchy of the church is focused entirely on the synod and, of course, everything else. So, so let me know what you thought of the of this in the comments, please. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.